Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Um, so this morning, if you have your Bibles or your uh, bulletin, you'll have Luke 11, 1 through 13 uh, before you. As again, as we close down our, our time in prayer, Jesus is teaching on prayer. Um, Chris Stapleton sings, uh, y'all may have heard the song, Daddy Doesn't Pray Anymore. You know the song? Uh, he, he sings, Daddy Doesn't Pray Anymore. I guess he finished talking to the Lord. He used to fold his hands and bow his head down to the floor. But Daddy doesn't pray anymore. And, and for the entire song, at least in my, what it made me think, Stapleton's singing making me think, what, what did, did Daddy lose his faith? Did Daddy walk away from God? Did he say to heck with God? Uh, before ending with one of those classic twists that seem to be in most country songs, you find the reason Daddy doesn't pray anymore is because Daddy passed. And instead of praying, he is now walking with the Lord every day. It's, it's a sweet, sweet song, right? And yet there are many who could say the same of their dad, right? or their mom, or their friends, or maybe even themselves, but it's not because they passed. They just quit praying. They just don't pray anymore. Um, ask almost any pastor what one of the most telling signs of, of spiritual health is in a Christian, and they'll tell you prayer. It's their prayer life. Martin Luther said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. It's for someone who believes the gospel. It's just like little kids run to their parents when they're hurt or they're scared. So do we. We run to our good Heavenly Father. It's, it's just a gut reflex to pray. And yet, if we were honest, the easiest thing about praying can be quitting, right? Um, more than likely, all of us at various times have been tempted to just kind of just give up prayer. Um, maybe we've prayed for things for years or maybe even decades, maybe even for all of our lives, and we've never seen the answers we'd hoped for. Or, or, or maybe, you know, it's, it's not the discouragement of that. Or maybe it's not unbelief. Maybe it's just comfort. Maybe we're just too comfortable in his book, A Praying Life, Paul Miller notes that if you are not praying, it may well be because you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life to overcome. And that we always know, like, you know, God, he's there if we need a lifeline. But for the most part, we pridefully live our lives as if we got it. You know, or, or maybe we're just too busy. You know, relationships and this whole, like, prayer thing, it takes time. Maybe we're just busy with, with, good, with many things, and we just don't have time. Or maybe us Presbyterians, we're, we're bad about getting too theological for our own good, right? And we conclude that if God is sovereign, which he is, if God already knows, which he does, then why pray? It's kind of like a waste of time. <laughs> um, and, and we can miss the fact that God doesn't need our prayer nearly as much as we need prayer, right? Uh, that, that prayer is one of the graces that God has given to his people, given to us to actively change us and equip us. All right, so as I mentioned, this is our, our seventh sermon on what it means to pray like a Christian, and we find that it's, it's, we pray in a different way. And so far, Jesus has laid out this framework 
Yet you'll notice in Luke's gospel, when Jesus finished teaching the Lord's Prayer, he wasn't quite done yet. Uh, he still had something else to teach about prayer. And so Jesus said, all right, look, I've given you the structure, the framework, you know, the kind of the things generally to talk about, to pray about. But Jesus wants us to know that Jesus didn't come to give us a manual to follow in this life as much as he gave us, he came to, gave us, to give, us, sorry, give us a spirit to live in and through us. And so Jesus says, let me tell you about the heart of prayer. You've got the literal things to say, but this is the heart of prayer. And so with that, this morning we get once again to go to God's word and we get to hear Jesus teach. It's almost like one, one last time for those in the back what he has to say about praying like a Christian. So Luke 11, 1 through 13, this is God's word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves Forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not to temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at night, at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Don't bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you. But he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, may you send the Holy Spirit now. Teach us. I lay, lay this Word deep, uh, deep in our soul. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. All right, so before we get to Jesus' point, uh, which is a very simple point, we, we first, unfortunately, have some theological trash we have to take out. You know, because we live in a culture that will take the verses, verses 9 and 10, rip them out of context in this passage, and slap them on a coffee mug faster than we can blink, right? And because of that, there's this Christian subculture that thinks if you don't have what you want, if God hasn't blessed you with a particular type of life, then obviously something's wrong. Either we've sinned, or we're not asking, we're not seeking, and we're not knocking hard enough. After all, Jesus, the Son of God, literally said, if you ask, you will receive, and if you seek, you will find, and if you knock, then that door is going to be open. And so therefore, the three-point sermon to a happier life becomes get to asking, get to seeking, and get to knocking, right? Pitter-patter, church, let's go. And it's easy to think that prayer is a blank slate, that God will give us the desires of our hearts, and so we're tempted to pray some version of, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends, right? We take it out of context, and then when God doesn't give us the Mercedes, 
doesn't give us the Porsche, doesn't give us all A's, you know, doesn't turn us into this all-star. He doesn't seem to answer the prayers the way that we want them to be answered. It's easy to think, well, what, what the heck are we even, what good is prayer? And now there can be good reasons why God doesn't give us the desires of our heart or answer the way we wish. Uh, to borrow from Alistair Begg, he said it's, it's, it's possible that sometimes our prayers are really substitute for obedience. You know, it's, Lord, should I run away with a lady across the street? And we'll pray things like that. And yet we never get peace about it. Lord, I, I just can't get peace. God, give me peace about X, Y, or Z. And yet God doesn't give peace about our sin, right? Second, we've got to know that we're not always the best judge of ourselves. Um, we don't always know what's good for ourselves. Uh, the desires of our heart, man, could wreck us faster than Tyreek Hill can get open, right? So fast. Um, look, I bet we could go around this room and spend most of the morning, if not all the morning, just hearing testimony after testimony of God's good grace to us through unanswered prayers. All the things we asked for that we're so thankful we didn't get. Um, you know, Paul prayed and prayed for his thorn in the flesh to be removed, but God didn't take it away because in Paul's weakness, it was there that he found God's grace to be sufficient, to be strong. You know, um, sometimes it's, it's, it's uh, hilarious to me that, that I'm a preacher because growing up, even junior high, high school, like I had panic attacks almost any time I gave a presentation to like a little class, to my class. And, and to this day, I, I'm never comfortable right here, never comfortable. I, I feel a lot like Ricky Bobby, you know, like I, you know, I don't know what to do with my hands, right? It's just, it's this weird thing, right? And so I, stand, I just, I, I watch, I watch back, I'm like, why am I doing that? Right, but I'm never like I'm never comfortable up here, and yet by God's grace, here I am. Right, like we don't always know what's good for us. Like none of us would have cancer diagnosis or disease filed under our desires of our heart. Right, we would never pray for that. None of us would ask for hardship, but God's playing the long game, and He knows what's best for our walk with Him in this short life. Third. Uh, we don't always know what's good for others. <laughs> you know, some of us think we have the perfect plan for everyone else if they and God would just listen to us, right? A fourth, we don't always know what's good for the church or the world or our community or, you know, particularly here in, in Greenwood. It's very tempting to pray for our own political agenda. Uh, it's to pray things like, Lord, it would be good for the church if there was no persecution, if the church just universally was free. Um, and that sounds really good, but you know, that may not be best for the church. I mean, can you imagine what the prayers of Daniel's parents or Esther's parents must have been like? And it's, Lord, when these evil people come, don't let them take our baby. When, when, when these evil people come, help us not to be swallowed up by, this, by them. And y'all know what happened, right? God used it all for good. So we can read this as a promise that God gives us everything we want, and yet, in reality, we know that God refuses us things that we want, and he gives us things we don't want all the time. And so the major breakdown happens, obviously, because there's only one God, and I'm not God, and you're not God. And so knowing that, so knowing this, we pray to God knowing that God always gives us what we need, and he never gives us what we do not need. 
And which means there may be some answers to our prayers that we won't find out until heaven. But something tells me at that point we won't even care to ask. You know? And so if we knew everything that God knows, if we knew everything that God knows, then we would ask for exactly what he gives us. So God knows what is best for our lives. All right. And so with that theological primer, if we take those verses from the coffee mug and we rip them off and we put them back in the context, what is Jesus teaching us here? Well, very, very simple. Jesus is calling us to pray with persistence in light of the promise. So pray with persistence in light of the promise. First, Jesus says pray with persistence. Jesus begins with this really weird story about a man who had a visitor show up at his house late at night. And in the ancient Near East, uh, their sense of responsibility for, for their guests was legendary. Uh, however, because it was late at night, he didn't have any food to give to his guests. And so he went to his friend's house. And, and think about this. Anyway, like You can't just go to anybody's house in the middle of the night, can you? You can't just go to anybody's house in the middle of the night and knock on the door. Like, like maybe we all have that one or two friends that, that ride-or-die friend that you can go any time of the day or night, and they're, they got you. They're there for you. Well, this man, he went to his friend's house on the basis of friendship. He knocked on the door, woke his friend up, and his friend's first thought was, I can't, I can't help you. Like we're, we're all buttoned up for the night. And it's easy you know, to, to read stories like this um, with our modern homes in mind and forget that way back then in the ancient Near East, Homes were typically pretty small, and, and most families slept in the same room. You know, it was this whole process of you all kind of get in, tucked in, and, you know, toes near the fire type situation. And once you're in, like, you're in. And if one person gets up, the whole family's up, right? Um, and so it would have been impossible just to disturb one person, just to wake one person. So he woke the whole house up. And also, you know, in these towns in the ancient Near East, homes were usually pretty close to each other. Maybe they even shared walls, uh, which also meant that it's, it's likely that he probably woke the neighbors up as well. And so if this happened, of course, if this happened in Greenwood, he'd for sure end up in the neighborhood Facebook group, right? Everybody talking about him. And, and it's the same old character, same old suspect saying, where has the neighborhood gone, right? Well, his friend didn't help him, at which point, you know, this man, he could have said, look, I, I tried. At least I tried and he could just quit, and he could go home and tell his friend, look, I tried. But he didn't. He knocked again. And, and the word is shameless. He, he, didn't, he didn't care what the neighbors thought about him. He, he didn't care. His, he, he knocked persistently. He kept seeking, knocking, because in that culture, the need of hospitality was greater. His need was greater than like being embarrassed. And so in Jesus' story, their friend finally, finally, say it came to the door, and said, because of your persistence, because it doesn't appear like you're going away. You're just going to keep waking us up. I will give you what you need. Just get out of here. Okay, it's very important we don't go wrong here. Because the application isn't that God is reluctant to answer our prayers. Unless we pitch a fit like a whiny child, he won't give us what we need. Just get out of here. No, no, Jesus... What he wants us to see is the persistence of the man outside the home. He's teaching the persistence with which we pray displays our awareness of our own need. You know, our longing to receive 
the answer to our prayers is to say, remember what Peter said, is, is to say, Lord, Jesus, where else can we go? Like, like you're, the only true, you're the only true God. Where else can we go for help? And so then the other application is we see a reality of who God is. We see the reality that in Jesus, not only do we have a friend who is that ride or die, you can come to him any, any hour of the day, but we have a brother who actually cares about our needs. So Jesus continues. He says, ask. You know, to ask something implies a need, right? It's a need that we can't meet. We are, we are helpless to meet it. And so we're not telling God, but we're asking God. He's the superior one. But then Jesus takes it a step further. Don't just ask. And most, maybe, maybe some of our prayer just stops at the asking. But he says seek, which means there's action involved. We don't just let go and let God, but we actively pursue the Lord you know, with our, our lives. But then he doesn't even stop there. He says, don't just ask, don't just seek, but knock. And you know, knocking implies that what we're seeking is closed off. There's a closed door there. We, we can't get through it without it being opened by whoever's on the inside. And it's like... You know, when children go, go looking for their mom, right, and mom has had enough, and she's locked herself away in the bathroom or the bedroom, right? But y'all know, look, no locked door has ever deterred a child, right? That child is just going to sit there and knock and knock and mom and mom, and they start banging on the door saying, Mama, I need you. You know, there are things in our lives that seem so impossible, and we've prayed about them, and, and, and time and time again, and we've been met by closed door after closed door, and, and no matter what we do, like, we can't get through that door. And, and, and that's what Jesus is conveying. It's like, we can open it, but God can, and will open it, it like, if it's right for us. And so we, we ask, we seek, we knock, but here's where we miss in English, what we miss in English translations, and maybe one of the reasons we lack this persistence in prayer in American churches, in the Greek, the words ask, seek, knock are all present imperatives, which means this isn't a, like you do it one time and I'm done. No, it's like the literal reading is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's to go after God with intensity and never let up because you know like, that there's nowhere else you could go. So our culture... It hasn't modeled for us shameless and persistent, persistently bold prayers. But I promise you, if you have ever seen your sin, and you've actually like gone like to the depths of your brokenness, if you've experienced the depth of your need of God, then you've been there, like going after God with, with, with reckless abandon. You think about last week what Joe preached for us. You know, it was Jacob wrestling with God, not letting go. Think of David crying out in the dirt for his child. Think of Hannah. Remember, Hannah was so, shame, she so shamelessly cried out to the Lord that the priest thought she was drunk. Like, what's, this, what's this drunk doing? And the mark of a Christian is an awareness of our, of our need of grace that bubbles out in persistent prayer. You know, throughout the centuries, God's people have kept asking, kept seeking, kept knocking. They said, God, I know you're in there. God, I can see you through the crack. God, I know you're in there. And you know, if we prayed like that today, we pray so confidently, and we, we should pray confidently, but we, we almost pray cockily today. You know, it's, if we prayed like an actual Jesus follower, many people may tell us to stop embarrassing ourselves. Stop annoying God. But you know, that, that doesn't annoy God. 
He's honored by that type of persistent prayer because that's the prayer that comes from the heart of his children. We need our, we need our Father. And so, Westminster, we may have to ask and seek and knock for years, but, you know, in the words of Dory, you know, Jesus is calling us to just keep swimming, right? Just keep praying. Uh, NASCAR, just keep turning left. Just turn left. Keep going, right? Just keep praying. And what we'll find is that even though God may not answer our prayers the way we want, like he will change us in the midst of those prayers, which that's a huge win. And what's even better is Jesus doesn't just call us to, to just blind persistence, but rather he gives us the only way that we could ever run with endurance the race that is set before us. The only way we can ever just keep praying is because as his followers, we pray in light of the promise, which is how we'll close. Jesus ends by making this argument from the lesser to the greater. You know, he's saying that, that humans, look, we're totally depraved, right? It's uh, the Taylor Swift song, right? It's, uh, what's the problem? It's, it's me, right? Hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Even Taylor got that right. Um, we've got sick and twisted habits. All of us are crooked deep down. Um, but as crooked as we are, most parents, and look, I know that there are some wicked parents out there, but most parents don't play evil tricks on their children. Now, most fathers and most mothers want their children to soar, right? We, we, we want to give good gifts to our kids. And if anything, we, we may have the opposite problem where we give our kids too much, right? Well, Jesus is saying as, as much as we, like sinful we, want good for our children, our holy Heavenly Father wants good for his children to infinity and beyond more. Actually, you know, parents, the next time, you know, you find yourself excited about giving a gift to one of your children, let it be a testimony to you to, to how, how much more so our God delights in giving you good things. And again, as we said earlier, we don't always know what's good. But here we find a promise that God will always give his children what they need. And in our passage, Jesus reminds us of how God does that in a very specific way. So what's Westminster's greatest need? What's, what's our greatest need? Some would say a new parking lot, uh, and that'd be nice for sure. Some of us would say a par three course right over there, and that would be pretty sweet, right? Uh, outreach, outreach for the neighborhood. Um, you know, some would say, look, I don't understand why our tithe and offering has not grown as our church has grown. And maybe so. You know, we will definitely not turn that away. Um, but, you know, none of that is really what we need. You know, our, our greatest need as a church is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our midst. So that this becomes not just something that we just kind of do, but it's like, no, this is like life. As we follow Christ, you know, before the Holy Spirit was sent, the early church, remember what they were doing, right? Before the Spirit came, they're like locked in this little room, scared to death. And, and they stayed in their holy huddle, totally ingrown. But when the Spirit came, what happened? Well, they came out of that locked room, right? You know, when, when the Spirit came, they were empowered. They weren't afraid anymore. All of a sudden, they, they outwardly faced the, the world, right? They weren't afraid. They were free. That's what our church needs. You know, that's, that's it. For the Spirit to come and embolden us to get out of our daggum holy huddles, right? 
And to stop being so daggum exclusive. And, and to pray big prayers. And to take the gospel message to our own flock and to our community. You know, not to make light of any of your personal needs. Um, you know, but, but your personal greatest need isn't happiness. It's not prosperity. It's, it's not health. Though Those are all wonderful things and we will gladly take those things, right? No, no, your and my greatest need is for the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and to tell us and to really convince us that in Christ you are forgiven, that you are not condemned. It is to remind us on the soul level that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's for the Holy Spirit, for God himself to take up residence in us and cause us to really taste and see the love of God. That's what our souls need. And everything else, every, everything else is gravy. Right? Which, as it just so happens, God gives us gravy too. That's awesome, right? And so as we close down our little mini-series on prayer, it's in light of God's sovereign and father-like love Jesus calls us to pray boldly. Just go there. Pray persistently, knowing, again, as John Newton once wrote, we are coming to the king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Father, again, we ask... uh, for the gift that you have promised us, that you will send the Holy Spirit to your people. So Lord, meet us this week as we go to work and we're in the home and we're interacting with our friends or whatever we do. Holy Spirit, guide us. Continue to point us and remind us of the gospel reality. Um, And Lord, we ask that you would grow up a, a community here, a congregation here, that we're not just like rotely reciting the Lord's Prayer but cause us to go after you with abandon, uh, persistently, boldly, shamelessly. Father, thank you that you hear our prayers. And may we receive your good answers by your grace. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.